Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. We begin a new series this morning called Holy Week, Entering the Passion of Jesus. I'm excited about it. I think we're going to learn a lot. It's going to take us right up to Easter. And when we get to Easter, I just want you to save the date because um, we always look forward to Easter. I mean, Easter's like the big day for us, right? We love Easter. But on Good Friday, mark your calendar. I want you to be here on, for the service we're going to have <clears throat> on Good Friday. And I want to be careful how I say this because it's not going to be the same thing as a candlelight, so it's not going to be the same thing. But I think it's going to have the same kind of meaning for you. It's going to be as meaningful for you as a candlelight has been in the past that we do at Christmas time. So, so. It, we're working on it now. I, it looks, I, I just think it's going to be really neat if we can get the building full of people. I think the more people that are here, just the, the more uh, impactful the night is going to feel for us. So this would be a great opportunity for you to invite a friend. And then again, turn around and invite them to come back with you on Easter Sunday. And as we move through this series, I think by the time we get to Easter Sunday, we're just going to be so full of praise and joy and and um, thankfulness, gratitude for what God has done for us. Um, in this series, we're going to take a look at the final week of the life of Jesus. I don't know if you know this or not, but Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four biblical accounts of the life of Jesus. And those four biblical accounts, just those four, have 89 chapters in them. Now, Jesus lived 33 years. The first 30 years of his life, there are only four chapters devoted to the first 30 years of the life of Jesus. The last three years of Jesus' life have 85 chapters devoted to them. And of those 85, 29 of them are devoted to the last week alone. So pretty much one-third of the Gospels are about the Passion Week of Jesus as he comes into Jerusalem and he spends that last week before he is crucified in fact, the Gospel of John, almost, not quite, but almost half the book of the book of John is dedicated to the final week of the life of Jesus. Um, and you ask yourself, why would that be? Why would John spend so much time talking about that final week? Well, because that's when we get some of the best teachings of Jesus. It's the final week of his life. He's also demonstrating just how much he loved us. And sometimes we can think about it and study it and look at it and we can get away <clears throat> from the passion of Christ. That's literally what the week is called. It's called Passion Week. And in this, I think we get a picture of just how passionate God is in his love for all of us. And I'm hoping as we go through the next seven weeks, and as we take kind of each day, uh, each week, we, we'll look at a different day. I'm hoping that we, we see the life of Christ, and as we see the level of passion that he had for us, that we begin to somehow try to figure out how we can raise our passion level for him. And so that's my request this morning. No matter what level you're on, no, no matter how close or far away from God you feel, I would like to think that there's always another step you can take. There's always one more. You can get a little bit closer. You can up your game just a little bit. And so my, my goal over the next week, uh, seven weeks, is that you would do just that. One of the most famous passages of Scripture that I could read to you, you probably know from heart, John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. Now listen, I love you. 
I love you. When I'm gone on vacation, I miss you. I was gone earlier in the month, and um, I miss you when I'm gone. When, I, when I'm away, I mean, I enjoy the vacation. I do, but I miss seeing you. I pray for you a lot. Um, God will bring your face to my mind, and I'll know a certain thing going on in your world, and I'll pray for that particular thing. I do that often. Um, you matter to me a great deal. When I go on that three-week vacation in October that I love to take, um, it's wonderful for me to do that, but part of the downside of that three-week vacation is I don't get to see you, and it bothers me, to be real honest. Um, but here's what I can tell you. As much as I love you, <clears throat> I have three kids. I would not let one of my three kids die for you. Maybe one of them I would. No, I'm just, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm just, I'm joking. <laughs> that's, so, that's so bad. Uh, <laughs> I would not let one of my, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't give up one of my kids for you. I wouldn't expect you to give up one of your kids for me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only, one and only son that whoever believes in him, <clears throat> in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And my hope in this series is that you would be able to feel that. That, that you, would, you would come into a better understanding of just how much God loves you. I want to share with you my favorite verse of scripture. And I say that all the time. This is my favorite verse of scripture. This truly is if you were to ask me, Brett, you only get one. You only get one. This is it for me. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. I love this passage so much that when they were redoing my office, before they carpeted in there, I went in with a magic marker, with a, a, a permanent marker, and wrote on the floor this verse. Right under, it's, it's right under the carpet where I sit. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's a beautiful, beautiful passage. I mean, think about while we were still sinners. And what that means is God didn't wait for you to clean up your act. He didn't wait for you to get good enough. He didn't wait for you to deserve it. He saw you in your sin state, far from God, in sin, bondage to sin, a slave. And he said, that's their problem, that's not my problem, but I'm going to fix their problem. God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So let me say, that kind of passion demands a response from us. It bothers me to see people who are lazy or casual in their faith, who are lazy or casual in their approach to Christ. It bothers me to see people only care about Jesus on Sundays, if that. It bothers me to see people live one way on certain days and another way on other days. Isaac Watts wrote a beautiful hymn. You've heard it, I know. When I survey the wondrous cross... Survey it, not just glance at it, not just kind of, you know, look at it a little bit, um, not just come to church for a few minutes and talk about it a little on Sunday, but when I do a deep dive, when I do a survey of the wondrous cross, there's a line in there, on which the prince of glory died. That moves me. That, that, that changes me from the inside out. When I start to understand what happened on that cross, it changes me. One verse goes like this. Love so amazing, so divine, 
demands my soul, my life, my all. I hope your passion level rises over the next week as we consider just how much we're loved by God. Today we're going to talk about where Passion Week begins. Some people call it Palm Sunday. Others have referred to it as the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. All four gospel accounts cover the Passion Week, and we're going to look at Luke's account today. If you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 19, Luke 19, verse 29. I hope you have your Bibles with you. That's a good thing to bring your Bible. You're like, Brett, you never, you put everything on the screen. I know, but you should have your Bible with you. Luke 19, verse 29, as he approached Bethpage and Bethany. Now, these, these are two little villages that are not far from Jerusalem, and, and uh, Jesus liked being in that vicinity. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, when you look at the old city of Jerusalem, on the east side, uh, there's something called the Kidron Valley, and in, in, in the Kidron Valley is the Garden of Gethsemane, and it, it leads up to the Mount of Olives. When we're told that Jesus in the upper room leaves with his disciples and they're singing hymns and songs as they go through that valley. This is a familiar ground for Jesus. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he, he, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. Now, Jesus hadn't seen the colt but he knew that there was one there. He knew it was there. He knew it was tied. He, he knew that no one had ever ridden it before. Here's the, the thing that I want you to understand about that. Jesus knows the details. And he knows the details about you that need to be known. He knows everything going on in your world and where you need attention. He knows what you need, when you need it. Nothing escapes him. He's paying attention. He said, if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he told them. As they were untying the colt, can you imagine how awkward this would be? As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. Oh, okay. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. And now a parade begins. We're told elsewhere in Scripture that they took palm branches and began to wave them. And, you know, they're celebrating. And John's account of this brings a different detail that Luke's account does not. We're told that this colt that Luke mentions is a part of a 400-year prophecy. We find that prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9. I want to read it to you. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. Again, this is 400 years before Jesus is going to show up. Righteous and victorious, slowly, uh, lowly, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. There are tons of prophecies in Scripture that talk about the coming of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. We've kind of talked at length about those in the last year here at Cross Lane. We've spent a lot of time on, you know, the odds of some of those things coming true, and it, the odds are astronomical that one person would fulfill all those, and they were fulfilled in Jesus. It's just one of the reasons that I believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Because if it were for men, it would be extremely risky for you to make those kinds of predictions. You just wouldn't do that 
if you were writing this on your own. The Holy Spirit was behind all this, and the Holy Spirit was helping them to, to write these things, and that's where these prophecies come from. Verse 36, as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. And one of the things that they have just seen is they have just seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. It's just happened. They just saw it. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And then watch this. This is where, you know, I talk about this often, but if this was a movie, this is where the music would change. It would get ominous. All these people are fired up about Jesus coming into the city, and then the Pharisees speak up. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. In other words, we don't worship like this. This isn't how we do it. Tell them to knock that off. It's undignified. And the bad news is the people basically were listening to these religious leaders because a week later, these very people, some of them who are waving these palm branches and praising God and Hosanna in the highest, they will be some of the same ones on Thursday and Friday that are yelling, crucify him. So one minute they're excited to see Jesus and the next minute they want to see him crucified. One minute they're up, the next minute they're down, one minute they're excited, the next they're deflated. Their faith could be convinced, and then their faith could be convinced again to go a, a completely different direction. And then Jesus makes this statement, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Ain't no rock gonna cry in my place. Who knows that song? Anybody? As long as I'm alive, I'll glorify his holy name. Go out and to your favorite streaming device and look up, just type in Ain't No Rock in the search panel and that song will come up. Find somebody who's got a little soul and a little rhythm. <laughs> Half the music we're listening to is crap, people. You know it and I know it, right? <laughs> Go get you some good music. You'll hear that song. And I promise you, if you listen to that song long enough, you'll be singing that song. You realize that in all the things that are in the world that are competing for our attention, that want our worship, that are trying to somehow finagle their way between us and the Lord, trying to get our attention off him and onto them, whatever it is, there is a battle for our worship. And one of the goals in this series is that we would just take the passion of Jesus, I want to just take it and inject it into you so that you... you, you, you start to think about, I, don't, I want to be different than the people in the crowd. I, don't, I just don't want to be praising God on the front end when it's easy. I want to be praising God in the back end when it's really hard. I want to take my passion for Christ to a different place, to a place that's, that's not dependent on how things are going. I want to be one of the ones that's always singing Hosanna. I don't want to be the one at the end that's crying crucify. And I think we're pretty passionate church at Cross Lane. It, 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 I think we're, we're serious about the, 
the idea of bringing people to Jesus. I think we're serious about trying to learn from his word, but we can all raise it up a different level. I think all of us could, could genuinely say, you know what, I got more in the tank. I, I could take another step toward him. I could, there's, there are things I could do to, to, to up my game, to be just a little bit more spiritual, to, to really to, to dedicate myself just a little bit more to, to following Jesus. And so that's what I want to call you to over the next several weeks. Just how can I raise my level of commitment, following, passion for Christ in the next several weeks? Let's take our passion to a whole different level. Here's my case. We all worship something. Your passion and mine are going to go somewhere. If I were to ask you right now to take an inventory What's the one thing that gets your time, your money, your loyalty, your energy, your, your affections, your expressions? What's the thing that gets most of your focus? Whatever that is, that's what you worship. Take a look at your checkbook. It'll tell you what you worship. Take a look at your calendar. It will tell you what you worship. Take a look at your thought life. It will tell you what you worship. See, it's okay for you to enjoy things. God gives us things. Right? I mean, I'm friends with you. I know some of the stuff you guys got. I'm not jealous. I, I don't want yours. I just want one just like it. That's, that's how you get around covet. You, just, you don't want theirs. You just want one just like it. We've all got stuff that we, we like, you know. It's okay for you to enjoy the things. God gives you things to enjoy. It's okay, you know, we say, we use the word love, and we, you know, I've heard preachers get after people for using the word love for inanimate objects, and I'm not going to do that to you. I get what we're saying. We're, we're saying, man, I just really like that. That's something I really enjoy. It could be anything. You know, some people love to eat. Some people love cars. Some people love movies. Some people love, you know, they don't love eating. They love preparing the food, Right? there's all kinds of things. I think what God would say is, I don't mind you having loves. I don't mind you having those things. I gave those things to you. I gave you those passions. I gave you those, those, those gifts. I gave you those things to enjoy. Just don't put those ahead of me. Don't, don't let those become the things that steal your attention from me because I want your attention. I want your praise. God is a jealous God. And when he sees us giving our affections to our sports teams or our ice cream or our food or anything else, he doesn't mind you liking or enjoying those things. What he does mind is when you love them more than him. When they become preeminent, when they become the thing that gets worshiped because he gave his best, his all, his passion for you. And he expects the same in return. You're worshiping something every day, all day long. You say, Brett, what is, what is worship? Worship is our response or expression to what we value the most. That's what worship is. And Jesus talked about it because whatever I worship becomes an obsession. Every year this time you see it. We just saw it last weekend. It's the Super Bowl. For some people, it's an obsession. It's all they think about. It's all they talk about. They prepare for it. They plan for it. They look all season forward to it. They have a big party. It's, it's the biggest thing going. Some people put a lot of money on those games. Did you know that one of the highest suicide days in America is the day after the Super Bowl? Did you know that? 
And one of the most, uh, one of the busiest days for Gamblers Anonymous is the day after the Super Bowl. And we, we, you know, there's people that obsess over it. It's an obsession for many. Whatever I become obsessed with, I imitate, and whatever I imitate, I become. So what you choose to give your time, your money, your resources, your energy, your loyalty, your affections, your expressions to begins to shape your life. Pastor Jack Hayford said this, worship changes the worshiper into the image of the one worshiped. Another way to to say that is, if you don't like what you're becoming, pay some attention, take an inventory of the things that are in your life that are getting your attention. Because it's very likely that that's what's becoming an item of worship for you. Because it's going to be something. And my guess is, the crowd that is gathered on this Palm Sunday, and they later yelled crucify, there's something wrong in their hearts. They have one of the most lethal things that can happen in their heart. They have a situational faith. A situational faith. Maybe you've got that. If you have that, it's like a cancer that you've got to figure out how to cut out. A situational faith. Faith that says, Jesus, if you'll help me today, I'll follow you. If you're not going to help me, I'm out. If it's all good, we're good. If you're not going to show up, if you're not going to do things the way I want them done, I'm out. Leave me alone. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not in. Now Jesus said, At one point he said, I'm about to tell you one of the most important things that I'm ever going to say. Now, if you knew you're with Jesus, and Jesus says, I'm about to say one of the most important things I'm ever going to say, wouldn't you lean in? That would interest you, right? Like, what is he going to say? Jesus said, there's a lot in here. There's one thing I'm going to say that's really important. Mark 12, verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. Jesus was really smart. He was hard for them to argue with. And this teacher of the law asked him, of all the commandments, which one, which is the most important? And Jesus answered, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. In one place in John chapter 4, Jesus said that God is actively looking for worshipers, that that God actively searches through the nations, that he searches through the denominations, that he searches through the congregations. I believe that God searches through Cross Lane to see who will worship him in spirit and truth. The word that that gets used by Jesus in John chapter 4. He uses that word worship, but the the Greek word is the word proskuneo. Proskuneo. And you might think you know what that means when I say it's it's to kiss the hand. You hear that and you think, oh, that must be like a prince and princess thing. No, it's, it's kind of the way a dog treats you when he's happy to see you. When I come home, Piper gets excited to see me, and she wants to get real close. You know, they get real excited. Um, Cats don't do that, by the way. (laughs) Cats kind of have the attitude, yeah, I see you. I'll be over in a minute. I'm not going to, I'm going to play hard to get, right? I actually don't hate cats. I think people think I hate cats. I really don't. It's just fun making fun of you cat people. Somebody just said, yes, you do. Yes, you do. 
That was the crowd on Sunday. They're kissing the hand. You know, Sunday, Jesus enters Jerusalem, and then five days later, they've forgotten. Jesus said, you got to love the Lord your God. You love him in three ways. You love him with your heart and soul, with your mind, and with your strength. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for that kind of worship. So how about we start to offer that kind of worship. As we study Passion Week, let's take our passion for Jesus to a completely different level. Heart and soul. You say, Brett, what heart and soul, what does that mean? God wants us to worship him with our affections. With our affections. Your soul is your mind, your will, your emotions. Some people, some people would say, well, Brett, I don't worship like that. I, do, I, I have God in my heart. I don't demonstrate, I don't sing, I don't do, I have God in my heart. Well, let me just ask you a question. How do you think it would go over if I looked at Dee, Dee and said, babe, I love you, but I love you in my heart? We'd be looking for a counselor. Dee, Dee and I in the last several weeks have talked a lot about the love languages. Gary Smalley wrote a book called The Five Love Languages, and I know for a fact Actually, Dee Dee and I share the exact, in the same order, almost the same breakdown. We share the same love languages. Number one for both of us is words of affection. If I, if I want to show her that I love her, the best thing I can do is encourage her, tell her she did a good job, tell her she looks pretty, you know, words of affection. And then right under that is physical touch. So if I were to say, well, baby, I love you, but, but it's in my heart. I'm not going to hug you. No, that's not going to work. She needs that. That's how she feels loved. I, I want to do what makes her feel loved because I love her. In fact, I'd say this. It's not love if it's not expressed in some way. God didn't just so love the world. He gave. He acted out his love. So my question for all of us as we enter into this greatest expression of the passion that we've ever seen in the history of the world, wouldn't it be only right for us to bring our passion level to a completely different level as we start to understand just exactly how much we've been loved, what price God paid, how, how in the forefront of his mind we were? There's one book in the Bible, and it's the longest by a long shot. It's the book of Psalms. And, and the book of Psalms really is nothing more than God telling us what his love language is. Uh, I mentioned that book, Gary Smalley's book, the, the Five Love Languages. If you're married, even if you're not married, I would highly recommend you get the book, The Five Love Languages. Gary Smalley wrote it a long time ago. It's still a great book. And he goes through the different, the five love languages. I want to tell you what they are. You need to know what they are for your spouse. You, you need to know them. You need to know them for your kids. You need to know them. It's not just for romantic relationships. It's for every relationship you have. You, the people that are important to you, if you want to show them that you love them, you need to know what their love language is. Here, here's the five love languages. Words of affirmation, physical touch, quality time, acts of service, receiving gifts. One of those speaks to you, maybe a couple. Words of affirmation, physical touch, quality time, acts of service, receiving gifts. I would highly recommend the couples in the room get the book, read it together, find out what the, other love, the other's love language is. Watch your relationship get stronger. Watch your love grow. You need to speak their love language. If you want to connect with somebody, if you love them, you're going to figure out how they respond, what, what, what excites them, what, what resonates with them. 
Every Wednesday, Tanner, my son Tanner, is uh, 27, I think he's 27 years old. Tanner is, uh, I have three kids, and Tanner is the middle child, and he's kind of my Eeyore. You know, he's, nothing's ever perfect for Tanner. Um, well, I got a red balloon, but I was really hoping for a blue one. You know, um, he doesn't like people very much. He doesn't like to be in public. He's, he's, he doesn't like to talk to people he doesn't know. He doesn't like uh, putting on airs or, you know, trying to act like he's happy to see you when he's really not happy to see you. And he's pretty honest about it, and sometimes it's brutal. Sometimes it's me, like he's not real happy to see me, and he tells me. <laughs> like, oh, Tanner, come on, brother, come on. But I meet with Tanner every week for lunch. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to speak his love language. I think I've kind of figured out what is Tanner's love language. And so what I'm trying to do is speak his love language in the hour that we get together on Wednesday afternoons for lunch. And when I can nail that, when I can begin to kind of dive into and speak his love language, he starts to open up. It's, it's a beautiful thing, and the relationship gets better. And I would say that uh, Tanner and I are getting along better now than we've ever gotten along, and it's because I've made a concerted effort to get with him and speak his love language, to make sure he knows I love him, and I'm here for him. And he may feel like he's alone in a great big world, but he's not alone. I've got his back. I'm always going to be there for him. God took 150 chapters in the Psalms, and basically what he said is, this is how I would like to be loved. I like clapping, shouting, dancing, singing, kneeling, crying, laughing, bowing, hands raised. He loves being loved like that. <laughs> I talked about Piper a minute ago. When I come home, I have a little, we have a little Italian greyhound. Cute as a button. She has all kinds of personality. Her name is Piper. And she, when I come home, she greets me at the door. And if you've got a dog, you know, you've got your own story. You could show your own story. But I'm, I'm going to, I took, this week, I got Dee Dee to record me coming home. And I want you to see, this is every day. When I come in, if, if she's out, if Dee Dee's home and she's out running around, when she knows I'm walking through the door, this is what happens. I can't even get to the kitchen. <laughs> I get intercepted every time. You're home! You're home! You're home! Don't you love that? Don't you, don't you love, those of you who have dogs or, cat, or cats, I guess. <laughs> don't you love that when you come home, they don't care what you smell like, they don't care where you've been, they don't care whether you've had a good day or a bad day. They're just happy you're home. They get so excited to see you. And here's the thing, that's how God wants us to treat him. Oh, you're home. Oh, I get to pray. Oh, I get to read. I get to spend time with you. Oh, God, you're awesome. Can, can, I, can I worship you? Can I, can I get close to you? Can I spend some time? God, you're amazing. I'm so happy that you decided to love me. He wants to be loved like that. Psalm 150 starts out, praise the Lord. That word praise in Hebrew, the word is halal. That's where we get the word hallelujah. Every Hebrew dictionary and every pastor's study in all of the world, when you look up halal, what you're going to find is it means celebrate, to boast, to rave, 
to be clamorously foolish. And honestly, it looks a whole lot more like Saturdays than it does Sundays. If you do that on Saturdays, they call you a fan. If you do it on Sundays, they call you a fanatic. Call me whatever you want. I want to do that for God. I want to love God like that. I want God to know I'm excited to be with him. I want him to know that I care. I want him to know that he means everything to me. I want him to know that I can't make it a day without him. I want him to know how thankful I am that I've been rescued, saved, redeemed, forgiven, set free. I want him to know. Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. And praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the clashing cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And some people would look at me and say, Brett, I just, I don't do it like that. I just, you know, I'm too reserved. I, can't, I, I, I just don't. There's a story that actually took place, and it took place right before Palm Sunday. If you go to John chapter 12, verse 12, and you don't need to turn there, but John's account is the same as the day we're looking at here in the book of Luke. But if you go one paragraph back, what you find is you find a sentence that starts the night before. So the night before this day when Jesus is going to come into Jerusalem, this triumphal entry, this happened the night before. And, and Jesus is in one of his favorite places. He's at Bethany. He is at the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He has just raised Lazarus from the dead. They are best friends. He, he loves this family. I think this is a haven for Jesus. I think he loved being in Bethany. It was close to the city, but it was just outside the city in a little quiet village. I think he, I think he felt at home there. And the Bible says that Mary took a jar of perfume that would cost a year's wages and she brings it in this container and she breaks the container. She pours what's called spikenard all over the feet of Jesus. And, and I think that when she snapped that jar head off, I think it, the, the aroma would have filled the room. I think it would have been probably one of the most, I love scents anyway. And I think it would have just smelled so beautiful. And you have Jesus there One of my favorite songs of any genre by any artist is a song called Pour My Love on You. And these are the lyrics. I don't know how to say exactly how I feel. I can't begin to tell you what your love has meant. I'm lost for words. Is there a way to show the passion in my heart? Can I express how truly great I think you are? My dearest friend. Lord, this is my desire, to pour my love on you. Like oil upon your feet, like wine for you to drink, like water from my heart, I pour my love on you. If praise is like perfume, I lavish mine on you till every drop is gone. I pour my love on you. Mary took her hair. She began to wipe the feet of Jesus. And you have to understand, she has, at this point, has crossed a line. 
She has become completely undignified. She has let her hair down. You don't do that in the presence of males who aren't your husband. This isn't a sexual thing. This isn't a romantic thing. This is, I am in love with the Savior, the one who has come to be our Messiah, and I want him to know that I worship him, and I'm on my hands and knees, and I'm going to pour out the most expensive thing I have on his feet, and I'm going to wash and wipe his feet with my hair. Mary didn't care. She was showing her unbridled spiritual passion, not a sexual passion, an unbridled spiritual passion for her Savior. Judas Iscariot was there. And when he saw what happened, he made the comment, this is a waste. This could have, that, that's expensive. That could have been used to help the poor. Well, that's great, Judas. What you may or may not know is that Judas was the one who held the purse for the group that traveled with Jesus, and he was dipping into the till. He was stealing money out of the till. And so the hypocrisy that comes out of his mouth when he starts to criticize this, this act that's been done, and Jesus speaks up and he says, she is preparing me for my burial. <sighs> Another place in Scripture, similar story. It's not the same story. It's very similar. Jesus is eating at a Pharisee's house, and this woman of the night, a street woman, a prostitute, comes, finds, figures out where he is. He's in this really important person's house, and he's eating a dinner. And I don't have time to go into it with you, but the way that was set up is you, people would be allowed to come and kind of look on the outside and watch you eat. Sounds strange, but that's how they did it. And this woman somehow got into the room, and she got to the feet of Jesus, and again, she starts to weep at the feet of Jesus and wets Jesus' feet with her tears, and she takes her hair, lets it down. Scandalous! Scandalous! Undignified! What's she doing? And she begins to wipe Jesus' feet with her hair. People didn't like it. Jesus had this to say. She's loving much because she's been forgiven much. I got a question this morning. I think we need to ask ourselves, have we forgotten? Have we forgotten where we were? Have we forgotten how much we've been forgiven? Have we forgotten how God showed up for us? Have we forgotten we were in bondage? Have we forgotten we needed a Savior? Have we forgotten that we were in debt? Have we forgotten that our kids were far away and he brought them back? Have we forgotten all the things that God has done for us time and time again? Have we forgotten that he broke addictions? That he's healed our bodies? That he's healed our purse? That he's healed our mind? Have we forgotten that he's given us friends? Have we forgotten all the things that God has done for us? Have we forgotten that we've been forgiven? When you've been forgiven much, you love much. <laughs> Jacksonville, North Carolina, there is a base, a military base called Camp Lejeune. You probably know that. Also in, in Jacksonville, North Carolina, there's an interstate that runs by, highway that runs by, the, the base there. 
And they're having a problem because, I don't know if you've ever been around a supersonic jet, but they make a lot of noise. They can rattle your teeth. They make a lot of noise. They can make sonic booms. It's crazy. They're, they're unbelievable. And they can show up out of nowhere, which was startling the people on the interstate, which was a problem for the city of Jacksonville, North Carolina. So they put their heads together trying to figure out, well, what, what can we do to solve this problem? And one of the answers was, well, let's put up a billboard. You know what the billboard said? Pardon our noise, that's the sound of freedom. I love that. Pardon our noise, that's the sound of freedom. Listen, when we come in here on a Sunday morning, this is the conversation we ought to be having. We ought to look at the person next to us or behind us or in front of us and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for what's about to happen. Pardon my noise, but you're about to hear the sound of freedom. Right? I've been forgiven. I was lost and now I'm found. I don't ever have to worry about where I'm going to spend eternity. God loves me. If you're grateful for what Jesus has done, then you make the sound of freedom. It's time. It's time to bring your passion level up. It's time to take another step. It's time to, to not, not, don't stay where you are. You say, man, I, I've heard this. Man, Shelby did that song this morning. I don't like that song. I don't like singing that song. Forget that. Forget whether or not you like the song. Listen, this band is not up here to perform for you. I am not up here to perform for you. Everything that happens in this room, you are not performing for us. Everything that happens in this room is done for an audience of one. He is paying attention. He's waiting to see, what's the worship going to be like today? Worship the Lord. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. So you worship God with your affections. Real quickly, I'm going to wrap this up. God wants us to worship him with our attention. How do you worship God with your mind? You do it with your attention. Whatever you love the most, you think about the most. I love Dee Dee. I think about her all the time. I think about her all the time because I love her. That's a fact. God wants to be in your mind. He wants to be on your mind. If you love him, he's going to be on your mind. Romans 12. Don't become, I love the way this is written in the message. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. You become that which you worship. Make an appointment and give God some attention tomorrow, today. Put him on your schedule. Put him on the calendar. He's that important. Heart and soul, mind, and then strength. How do you worship God with your strength? God wants us to worship him with our abilities. Hebrews 13. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. How do you do that? How do you continually offer a sacrifice of praise? Next verse. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. When you serve God, when you do something that God asks you to do, you're worshiping. When you serve God, you're, you're, you're becoming like him. You're, you're telling him, I love you. Our youth pastor, Ryan, is fond of saying to the kids, I hear him say it all the time, in fact, I've even seen it on shirts, you're never more like Jesus than when you serve. That's true. 
You never look more like Jesus than when you serve. Now, some of you have walked in here this morning, some of you within the sound of my voice, you're like, Brett, I, I mean, where do I start? I'm not, I haven't gone to church. I don't really have taken any of this very seriously. But maybe where you need to start is you need to start with, I'm going to give my life to Christ. Anybody that's willing to die for me, I need to investigate that, and I need to just give my life to him. That may be where you need to start. You might need to start with, with baptism. You know, you, 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 at some point you raised your hand at the back of a church somewhere, but you never got baptized. You need to be baptized. I'm not here to tell you that that saves you. We don't believe that it saves you. Some churches would tell you it, you can't be saved unless you're baptized. We don't necessarily believe that. But we do believe baptism is very important. It's an act of obedience for us. It's one of the first things we do when we come to Christ. He said, be baptized. I don't fully understand why God wanted us to get wet, but that's what God wanted, so we do it. So maybe that's the next step for you. For some of you, you've been nominal in this. You haven't really taken this seriously. You, you're one way in on Wednesday, you're a different way on Sunday. And, and maybe what you need to do is harmonize those so that you look the same all through the week, preferably that you look more like the, what you look like on Sunday. We hope. And then some of you have been coming to church for a long time and you're very dedicated, you serve, you do all those things, but there's a step you need to take. There's a habit you need to break. There's a, there's a, you need to sit down with your Bible more. You need to pray more. You, need, there's something, you, you don't sing enough. We all can take a step. And we all can take a step because the band's about to come out and they're going to play. And you have an opportunity to sing and to worship for an audience of one. I'll be paying attention. I'm inconsequential. The one who's paying attention is the Lord. Let's impress, okay? Let's impress. Let's pray together. Father, overwhelming is, is the word that I would use when I start to really ponder the cross and start to really, it starts to dawn on me how much you have loved me and what that death on the cross means that I have been completely forgiven, not partially, not three quarters. I have been completely forgiven of everything that I've ever done, not just everything that I have done, but everything I'm gonna do. You have so blessed me. And when I think about it for longer than two seconds and I really dive into what the cross means, it breaks me down. And so, Father, I pray for the people in this room that as they ponder the cross, when they survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, they would reach the conclusion, hey, I, I can step it up. There's, a, there's another step I can take toward the Savior. Father, we can't even do that without your help, and so I ask for, for your help. But Lord, would you meet us? I know you will. As we take steps to you, we pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. And all God's people said.